Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cullen, and alongside me is the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher T. Barty. Bardo, we drew a test match. You were right, I was wrong, we got carried away, and we had a great, great five days of cricket. Holy moly. Yeah, well, look, I'd say, I'd go so far as to say it was a great four days of cricket. I think day one was a bit of a fizzer, but... Um, <laughs> wasn't it? A great 4.2 days of cricket. Exactly. Uh, but look... What a great 4.2 days of cricket that we had. Amazing. You know, what a wonderful thing Test Cricket is. Let's just say that from the outset. Spectacular. Because we all thought, well, most of us thought that this Test match was going to be a romping for Australia. We just thought it was that uh, England were going to blow over and uh, and wilt. Uh, But they didn't. They stood up. They showed something. You know, they played uh, in a manner befitting... The, bla- the baggy blue uh, and uh, mm. I think as cricket fans across the world uh, we all rejoiced uh, as England found some semblance uh, of a top six it was so magic that last hour Chris you know Australia needing two wickets to win England trying to hold on the light being bad and us having to you know bowl spinners Steve Smith getting a bloody pole at the end to need one wicket off two overs. Sensational stuff. You only get that in Test Cricket, you know. You only get a truly thrilling draw in Test Cricket. And and as much as I wanted to see the Poms get rolled, it was it was wonderful to see this. This was a better outcome in some ways. Well, I think one of the great things, you know, and we're going to say this a lot, one of the great things about Test Cricket, but the play finished with the world's best batsman Facing off against the world's best bowler <laughs> in completely the opposite roles. And it was magical. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And it was a genuinely, right? that's an awesome it was a genuinely tense standoff. It was a genuinely tense standoff. I think it, look, it really had everything. It really had everything. And look, there's a few things that you could say about the way that the game was set up. You know, could you make the argument that perhaps the declaration from Pat Cummins came a little bit too late? Possibly you could have. Sure. Probably didn't need 380 on the board. Um, that being said, England did score 270 and the record uh, for a uh, chase at the SCG, I think, is about 280-odd. So, you know, there's logic there to, to need a little bit of extra padding. Totally. Complain. And there was math behind it, Chris. You know, they sat down, they went 3.5 and over. How many overs? This is what they'd have to chase. And given how bad England's batting's been, like, I don't think anybody expected them to be able to hold out yeah. in the way that they did. Zach Crawley got 77, Zach Chris. Crawley got... He was swashbuckling. Swashbuckling, yeah. You know, at, at a, as you say, at a really decent clip. So, the way the game was set up, I think, was really interesting. Uh, you had really the first time that Pat Cummins has been... Uh, challenged uh, tactically as a, as a captain, uh, I think that that was really interesting, you know. And what a way um, for the innings to end as well. Let's not forget the fact that Jack Leach was on a hat trick. Craziness, <laughs> yeah. completely unnecessary Before- too. It's not like Alex Carey <laughs> yeah. going out to bat added anything, anything, anything. Pat <laughs> Cummins effectively ruined the day of two people by doing that. 
It was such a dick move. And, Chris, your mate, Usman Khawaja, mm. uh, who you have been a big fan of, came back into the side as COVID cover for Travis Head, who sadly tested positive down in Melbourne, and scored double centuries, twin centuries, Chris, one in each innings, and was just sensational. He was. Yeah, look, he was, wasn't he brilliant? Uh, and came in at critical times, critical junctures in both innings as well, uh, and played uh, just really measured well thought out well executed test match innings and my favorite part i've got to say was the multiple reverse sweeps that usman yeah. pulled out he really has become a master of the reverse sweep um you know after so many years people saying that this guy couldn't play spin bowling and we we you know if you remember pre-pakistan people were saying we can't bring this guy onto a subcontinent tour because you know mm. his playing of spin bowling is such is so subpar but he's proved everybody wrong you know, and now, you know, prior to this test match, his average was 40.7, which you kind of look at and go, yep, it's okay. Solid. It's solid. Yeah. It's not great. But as a result of the, the two centuries he's made in this test match, his average has bumped up to, about, I think, about 43.4, which off the top of my head is a higher test average than, I think, Mark Waugh and Mark Taylor, who are both... Uh, you know, comfortably renowned as you know some of Australia's better batsmen of the of the twentieth and twenty first century. So, I think we can almost now view Usman Khawaja's test career yeah. in yeah. a different Hell lens, yeah, mate. Like, which is I think really he was, impressive. He was he really did blow me away in this, you know. And I, I, you know what, Chris, I couldn't help but sit there and think of you, mate. You were lingering over my shoulder uh, as I sat there and and watched it because I was watching Usman just play these really classy cover drives and shots and all I could think about was my dear B train on the other side of the country sitting there with just a big old smile on your face Chris watching your man come back in the side and just slay him to all parts he was sensational it was sensational and you know Pat oh you know I'm a basketball guy so you're a big basketball guy I have really appreciated the celebration in the first innings he's whipped out the LeBron James the silencer <laughs> celebration first time I think that's probably been done in world cricket anyway I would, I would say so. I had to Google it, Chris. I had to go and look it up. Oh. And then I was like, oh, I understand. Yeah. And, and way to even make Chris Barney even more excited. Way to touch your yeah. heartstrings mm. even a little more. Delightful. Look, talk about combining all the things you love, Chris. I tell you what, if um, Paddy had a thrown in the ball, <laughs> I just that, that would have made it. <laughs> and he'd taken a pole, he'd you would have lost your mind. Yeah, well, and I mean, that came, in, got, came into my mind because I was listening to the ABC radio commentary and um, Stuart Clark did an interview with Usman after, I think after he'd made his first century and talk, they were talking about how there was a game, a shield game for New South Wales where Stuart Clark was captaining and he threw Usman the ball and Usman took his only first class. Wicket. Wow. Yeah. So, if there was a game, if there's one mistake that Patrick Cummins made throughout this whole game, it's really that that last over probably should have been bowled by Usman Kawaja. He's got the golden arm, Chris. I mean, if he'd won the game for Australia and scored twin tons, you know, it would have been a real case of build a man a statue. Um, Speaking of build a man a statue, I'm sure Spinks, he'll talk about it when we get to Spinks, but Scotty Boland, again, was incredibly impressive, Chris. And sadly, he's heading into the Hobart game under a bit of an injury cloud. Mm. And we also have got to say um, how incredibly, how how wonderful it was to watch England's batting. As difficult as it was to watch, it was brilliant to see them stand up Chris and also to know that they're all fans of the pod 
clearly, Bardo. They clearly had a big old listen to last episode and thought, you know what, Pat and Chris, we will go out and have a swing like mugs. We will go out and play some attacking cricket. And and didn't that pay off for them, Bardo? When they started putting pressure on our bowlers, all of a sudden the lines and lengths got a bit shaky. They started being able to execute that pressure. Mm. They put runs on the board. The game got a lot more dynamic. It was great to watch. It was really interesting that one session too, where I think it was Bairstow and uh, Stokes took the game away from Australia for a period of time. They really went after Nathan Lyon. Um, yeah, you know, he's going for five and over. Uh, like yeah, how often do you see that? More than Australia, you know, more than run a ball. I think in, in the early parts of his uh, early parts of his spell, and really takes the wicket of Ben Stokes uh, was like the only decent ball of the spell, which is probably a bit bit rough. Uh, I think actually in that assessment, but um, <laughs> I'm sure there were more. Than, there was more than one decent ball in the spell, but it was the the only ball I suppose where Stokes got beaten, um, and it was mm. really really kind of came out of nowhere. But I but I sort of come back to the fact that I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Hoosiers, Pat? The movie Hoosiers with Gene Hackman. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. No, I haven't. Okay, so look, we're on a bit of a basketball theme this this uh, this week, but. Who's is basically a film where Gene Hackman is a coach of a small town Indiana basketball team, and they, and uh, Indiana is essentially like the heartland of basketball, right? And they mm. go to the state championships, and these guys from small town Indiana um, are, are feeling a bit nervous about the upcoming uh, state championships. So it's, re- it's a really great film uh, and, and a great scene where Gene Hackman he gets one of the guys to to get the tape measure out, and they measure the size of the hoop. And the, Gene Hackman goes, how tall is the hoop? And the guy goes, it's 10 feet. And he goes, okay, cool. So he's like, how, how tall is the hoop at home? And he's like, 10 feet. And it's kind of this seminal moment where the guys kind of realize, they're like, oh, okay, well, we can play basketball in our gym. So there's no reason why we can't play basketball in this big imposing gym. Sure. Uh, and then they kind of come together and, and, and do great things. Do check it out. Great movie. <laughs> but I think for me, the, why I kind of come back to that is because if you look at this England batting lineup down the line, um, you know there is still some significant talent in that lineup. You know, yeah, no doubt. Even mate. as soon as that that first innings, you know, I mean, we David David Milan's had a reasonable series. You know, we know that what he can do at an international level. Joe Root's obviously, you know, had a phenomenal year. Um, ben Stokes, you know, we know he's ben what he's been. He's, he's ben Stokes, right? Johnny Bairstow's done horrible things to Australia. Even Josh Butler in the shorter form of the game um, has also given yeah. Australia nightmares, right? There's enough talent there. And I just sort of think that, you know, even though there's variation in, in the pitch and, all, and you know, it's a different ball and all that sort of thing, at the end of the day, it's 22 yards. The object is to protect your wicket and hit the ball in parts where, of the field where fielders aren't in any form of cricket that you're playing, whether it's 20 overs, um, 50 overs, 100 balls, 100, whatever. 100 balls test match, whatever. And I think what we saw in that period of time was those two guys um, playing cricket in the manner that they have been training and preparing, not trying to be something that they're not or play the game in a way that people think they should. At the end of the day, Test Cricket gives you five days to resolve the argument. It doesn't say you have to resolve the argument in a certain way. Um, and I think that that was probably, for me, the the, the penny that dropped while watching watching these guys bat. And, and it was, I think, the most exciting 
really component of the game. Um, and there was a point in time there where, you know, Australia's lead you know, really kind of dwindled uh, mm. and, and looked as though it, it might not be as imposing as it first was. And particularly given the fact that uh, I think it was uh, must have been Bairstow came to the crease at four for 36. Unbelievable. Yeah. Turnaround, Chris. The turnaround. So, mate, listen. Um, two parts to today's episode. We're going to talk about the Ashes first. We've got tapes from our Aussie correspondent, Alex Spinks. We've got a tape from our UK correspondent, Tom K. Hawkey. But we also have tapes from Jai Singh and hopefully Chris Goodrick. It should be coming in hopefully by the time we get to the end of the episode uh, to talk about this wild series that's been happening between the South Africans and the Indians over in South Africa. So uh, very, very exciting, Chris. We'll get to those guys when we get there. But I think we need to start with this Ashes series. And, and, and usually, Bardo, I throw to you to ask you which person you'd like to hear from first. But I think... Given the amount of stick that particularly I and occasionally you have given to the English team and given the amount of a tough time that TK's had, I think I think we need to air him out, Chris. I think we need to give <laughs> TK a little... We need to put him at the top of the episode for once and, and hear from him straight away and just get a little bit of joy from a bloke who's had a real tough couple of weeks. What do you reckon? That sounds good to me, Pat. It's, it, sounds like, it sounds like the only right thing to do, Bardo. That's how I feel about it. Here is Tom K. Hawkey with a bulletin from a Brit. It's a draw, Tom. It was a draw, buddy. Stop the press. Ring the bell. Call your mother and tell her you won't be home for supper tonight because, my friends, England have managed to avoid losing a test match in Australia. <laughs> Although their winless streak down under has now stretched to 11 years. <laughs> England, for the second time in the last three away Asher series, have avoided a whitewash and will now probably just lose 4-0. Let's not forget, though, that England were at one stage 36 for 4 and staring down the barrel of another humiliating defeat. So grinding out this draw does represent an impressive comeback. Don't you just love the vagaries of Test Match cricket? After five days, three centuries, some dogged resistance, some flamboyant counter-attacking, rain-affected play, and a Cummins declaration with Leach on a hat-trick, and it all came down to Jimmy Anderson, a bowler, blocking out six deliveries from Steve Smith, a batsman. Their roles reversed for one glorious, nail-biting over. Beautiful stuff. I now find myself in the rather unusual position of working out what went well for England in a match. Broad took five wickets in the first innings. Mm. Stokes and Bairstow twice held Australia up, with Bairstow scoring England's first century of the series. Mark Wood's first innings was full of fireworks and crucially helped England avoid the follow-on. Zach Crawley found some form and scored 77 and Leach bowled with more confidence in the second innings. There was plenty here to be happy about. Yeah, hold up there, TK. Um, but uh, it, it was a big turnaround from the English squad. Like, yeah. when you hear that from, from Tom, and, and you can't help but feel too, mate, at least I felt, like they actually picked the right team. They picked the team they should have been playing with this this whole time. That This this side, you know, with Mark Wood's express pace, um, Jack Leach having a bit of confidence in him. And, and, you know, Jack Leach, mate, when he had some confidence in his bones and he started bowling well in that second innings, he's really quite a threatening bowler. 
he looked like a completely different operator. Yeah. I, I thought, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you reckon? Figures of 4 for 84 don't lie, do they? Um, you, you know, and it's not as if he got out any particular mugs either. I mean, you know, managed to bowl Steve Smith, um, you know, with a really good delivery off a of foolish length. A great um, delivery and a poor shot from Smith, and actually, poor, as well. And a poor shot. And uh, had Australia in trouble at 86 before, uh, too. You know, we didn't have enough runs on the board at that point. Um, so, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and as we said, finished the game on a hat trick. Uh, you know, when he hopefully retains his position for Hobart uh, and will start the game uh, on a hat trick, which will be super fun to watch. Um, the other one, too, I think worth mentioning is Ollie Pope in the second innings. Um, with the gloves. With the gloves. England's stand-in makeshift keeper uh, actually equals the record for most catches taken by a substitute fielder in a test oh, match really? innings with four. So, yeah, wow. really great fighting here from England. Uh, they really seem to patch something together. And I wonder if part of the, you know, part of the reason for, um, you know, the, the substandard performance is due to the lack of lead-in time and first-class matches that they were able to play. Uh, you yeah, know, and sure. we're just now seeing an England team that's had an opportunity to get used to conditions uh, in Australia um, and producing results that are fitting of that. Yeah, com- completely, mate. Completely. And and the fighting spirit was really impressive. I mean, by the, by the second innings, you know, it was really a case of, like, who's going to come out to bat like Ben Stokes had a side strain, which was really causing him a lot of discomfort, meant he couldn't bowl. Johnny Bairstow had what was essentially a fractured thumb, we believe, and batted through and got 100 with a near-broken thumb in, in shades of Graham Smith. Um, Joss Butler has multiple finger fractures and has actually had to fly home to the UK since. And, and you know, like, all of them came out and faced the music. All of them came out and faced Cummins, Stark, and Boland um, on, a, on an up-and-down pitch with, with pretty significant injuries and fought it out for a draw. It was like the complete opposite of the English side, which we've seen mm. in the previous couple of tests, who just rolled over at the first sign of, of adversity. And, and they really fought, Chris, and, and it was a well... It was a genuinely well-deserved draw, and as much as I really wanted to see a five-nil result, because I always want to see a five-nil result, it was um, it was so well-deserved, mm. and I, I felt really happy for them. I found myself almost barracking for England at points, which was an incredibly strange sensation, Chris. But that was just how bad their cricket's been. Yeah. It, it's been so great to see them turn that around. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think it was exciting for a number of reasons, uh, you know, but. Most of all, I think, as you say, just for the character and for the fight that they showed. Um, you know, we talked about Jack Jelly, figures of four for 84. You know, by far his best return for the series. You know, showing that he can be a frontline test spinner. Um, but let's not forget in the second innings, you know, uh, I think he came in uh, at about seven for, uh, seven for 218 with plenty of time remaining in the game. Ends up scoring 26 off 34. Uh, yeah. And, you know, gets out, sure, gets out in the second last uh, over of the game, but almost sees England home all the way through. Yeah. Um, so, tremendous performance from Jack Leach, a guy that's been much maligned over the first three games of the series. And you wonder, you know, on the back of this, what are we going to see in Hobart? Great bloody question, B Train. Back to Tom. So, job done, right? Well, no. England were still pretty awful. 
Hamid scored his sixth single-digit score in a row. That 36 for four shows our batting frailties haven't magically disappeared. Stokes, Bairstow and Butler all sustained injuries. We may never see Butler in the test side again. And Root has been found out by Scott Boland. I mean, everyone has been found out by Scott Boland. But Root has been out three times for no runs in the last 24 balls he's faced off him. Wow. Talk about a bunny. I won't pretend that drawing this match felt as good as a win, but it felt a heck of a lot better than a loss. Mm. Finally, here was most of the England team showing some spirit and bottle. Michael Vaughan said on commentary that winkling out a draw can sometimes do something special to a team's changing room. So, will this lead to an England victory in Hobart's day-night test, which in turn gives them a platform to build for the future? No, I don't think so. I'm sticking with 4-0. But I hope whatever the result is, we get the same grit and determination from the England team. Despite having two recognised wicketkeepers in the team, England have had to call up a third due to those injuries. Not only that, but Ollie Pope had to take the gloves in Australia's second innings. I know I called for the team to diversify in my last bulletin, but, you know, I was joking. (laughs) Still, Pope acquitted himself well. And now Sam Billings looks set to be the 700th cap player for England. Wow. Billings was 90 minutes away from taking a flight home before being told that he had to instead drive over 500 miles south to Sydney. I really hope he gets a game because that's a hell of a long drive just to carry the water bottles. (laughs) Finally, in the two-for-none Ashes bet, Pat needs a 1,552-run test if he's to avoid losing. If I were you, Pat, I'd start warming up those vocal cords now. (laughs) <laughs> thank you dk i will do exactly that chris i can't help but feel that i i may have overshot the mark with my estimation of um of 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 runs in the series I, you, I, one gets the feeling that hobart probably won't be a super high scoring test yeah. if we're honest with each other but I, yeah. I just don't know that's the way it's going to roll out yeah. um day night tests moisture no it's not no. happening. Sorry, man. Yeah, I um, I think it's going to be a song. I think it's going to be working. I've, I've been marinating on it in my mind, Chris. I might even pull a couple of collabs from a few local friends of mine and see what uh, what <laughs> magic see what you can, can do. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. But it's what it needs, <laughs> needs to it needs to happen. It needs to happen. I'm glad you're excited, mate. And I'm glad Tom's excited too. And good on Sam Billings for getting in the ute and driving yeah. from, um, you know, the 500 miles. I hope you listened to the Proclaimers 500 miles while he did the drive. Um, Great selection hours. too. We've yeah. had a crack at the England, England selectors multiple times. Well, I think the world has. But selection of Sam Billings, it's a good selection. You know, the guy's yep. 30 years old. He's got plenty of first-class cricket underneath him. Most recently been focused on white ball cricket, sure, but has been performing well for the Sydney Thunder in Australian conditions. This is a guy that's had a reasonable run-up. So, great selection. Yeah, yeah, and he's in pretty good touch too. Um, but uh, let's go straight to Spinksy, my friend, because we've got a couple more tapes to fit in today. So, let's hear from the man, the myth, our Aussie correspondent, Alexander Spinks. Here he is. Why does it always very good, 
announcement from an Aussie? An enunciation from an Aussie? No. It just doesn't have the same ring to bulletin from a Brit. Well, if he's going to steal my opening songs and use my statistics, I'm going to nick his catchphrase. <clears throat> ah, hello there. Alexander J. Spinks here with a <laughs> bulletin from a former British colony. After the single most absorbing... <clears throat> After the single most absorbing, uh. intense ashes test on Aussie soil since Amazing Adelaide in 2006, it appears that England have finally found, or rediscovered, a player that can frustrate the Aussies with their presence, their determination to occupy time, and their determination to not give in to pain and the heckles of a parochial crowd. That's right. England's perennial 12th man, one Rain Cloud, has at last realised their potential and managed to spend what felt like three and a half days at the crease in Sydney, batting for time, which gave England just enough daylight to eke out a spectacular draw. Yeah, Chris, sorry for Spinksy. Uh, Spinksy, firstly, let me say, you don't need to try and be Tom, all right? Yeah, you know, you're, you're very much your own special flavour and, and you don't need to try and be anybody else, mate. You're doing a wonderful job. You know what I mean? That's That's my first thing. My second thing is... Bloody weather in Sydney, eh, Chris? Really messed us up. Yeah. It certainly did feel like for a period of time that it was Australia versus the rain there. <laughs> and we lost. Uh, I'm going to say specifically at four for 36. <laughs> That's when it was like uh, England's just the sideshow to this. Um, but yeah, look, perhaps not a slight oversimplification of the game, but um, don't entirely disagree. <laughs> Yeah, same here. And, and you can't help but feel if we didn't lose those seven overs and we could have batted for those or had England at the crease for those seven overs, that, that Jimmy Anderson, would he have survived three overs against Scotty Boland? I highly yeah. doubt it. Well, I think Jimmy Anderson, um, on a rival podcast, uh, uh, Pat, uh, earlier in the week, said that uh, as soon as he realised that the uh, umpires were only permitting spin bowling, he felt considerably more comfortable than he would have done had he been facing Pat Cummins or, or Scott Boland. So, yeah, certainly weather assisted. We can certainly say that. Justifiably, Chris. Justifiably. And a, the tiniest of sidebars here. I know we've got to get back to Spinks here. But have you been seeing this footage of Brett Lee bowling to his kids? Yeah, it's, it's done the rounds. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah, same sort of deal, right? I, I sure. wouldn't want to go out and face being at, at my local Christmas lunch. Uh, even even now in retirement, I would much rather face myself, Gary Lyon, as good a spinner as he is, uh, than going out and, say, facing a roaring Pat Cummins ready to take my freaking nostrils off my face. Sure. Yeah, valid point. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. That's all I wanted. Your validation. Raw. <laughs> Steve Smith's last ball attempt at a wrong end to James Anderson certainly helped. Oh, and Johnny Bairstow was pretty good too. Speaking of, do you remember 2016, Johnny Bairstow? Hmm. ICC Test Team of the Year 2016, Johnny Bairstow? Hmm. Record holder for the most test dismissals by a wicketkeeper in a calendar year at 70, overtaking greats of the game like Mark Boucher, Ian Healy and Adam Gilchrist, who topped off at 60-something? 2016, Johnny Bairstow? I bet Johnny Bairstow does. Do you know who seems to have forgotten... 2016 Johnny Bairstow? Hmm. Or even 2017 or 2018 Johnny Bairstow? The ECB and their selectors have forgotten Johnny Bairstow. So obsessed as the ECB is with making Joss Butler their long-form wicketkeeper, they've let flounder two players who are actually good at their jobs. <laughs> Bairstow and Ben Folks. I mean, 
The only way for Folks or Bairstow to get Butler out of the team is to let him keep Wicket so badly that he eventually breaks his finger. The only way you could tell that Butler was not the one keeping in the third innings was because Ollie Pope actually took some nice catches, equaling the record for most catches by a substitute fielder. Unfortunately, Bairstow batted so brilliantly that he almost broke his thumb, and Ben Folks, after having a very good match with bat and gloves when the Lions took on Australia A in December, was sent home. He's not even in their squad as cover. Sam Billings is making his test debut in Hobart, not because he's the reserve gloveman, but because he happened to be in Australia at the time. It's almost like the ECB hates test cricket and just wants to turn Lords into a car park. Whereas, (laughs) on the Antipodean side of the fence, selectors have to somehow cram 13 and a half very good and informed cricketers into 11 places. But injuries may force their hand here, at least for the bowlers. How do you solve a problem like Kawaja? Mm. So strong was the slipstream Kawaja forged as he was hammering towards twin tons on his former hometown ground that he dragged Cameron Green out of his shell and into some strokes which don't require a perfectly vertical bat. I was at the ground for each day of the test and so popular was Uzi that when poster boy Captain Pat Cummins was farming the strike towards the end of the second session, the boos that rang out at the SCG were louder than ever. Any time Stuart Broad's name was mentioned in 2013-14. Wow. Cameron Green copped the same treatment on day four, but was constantly put at ease by Kawaja himself, who could be seen constantly pumping Green up with encouragement between overs, helping him block out the parochial crowd and focus on his job. Destroying the English bowling lineup, Uzi's second century be damned. I can't tell you how revitalising it was to be at the thing in person. There was no inane word vomit spewing out of Shane Warne or Mark War's mouth, Aussies and Poms mingling and talking nothing but cricket, and all watching some wonderful batting from both teams. Special mention must go to Jack Leach. Whenever the diminutive finger spinner gets sent to field on the boundary at fine leg at the Randwick end, both the Barmy Army and the Richies or other Australians would go bananas. <laughs> and his crowd work is spectacular. Whilst it's all tongue-in-cheek, he always had a smile on his face and his constant interactions with fans never dipped in energy. True class from Leachy there. The third biggest boos of the match rang out when Joe Root, quite visibly and pointedly, Moved to see Hamid down to fine leg to put Leach at extra cover. What a killjoy. <laughs> well, now we move on to the first ever Ashes test to be played in Hobart, which seems like a dumb thing to happen for the first time in 2022. Australia has injury clouds over Scott Boland and Jai Richardson, with Josh Hazelwood already ruled out, and they also have to find a way to decide between Usman Khawaja, Travis Head, and Marcus Harris in the batting lineup. Usman seems to be the only person who is sure that he is still only going to play the one test this series. But with a tour to both India and his country of birth Pakistan coming up, and with a good skill set to combat spin, he could be in for one last hurrah of a test year. And England has its own selection issues to deal with. But we knew that after the first test at the Gabba. This was a bulletin from a former British colony. funny good times good stuff appreciate it um bardo mm. 
let's 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 turn our minds here. Oh, I feel like we just quickly need to say how good Cameron Green was and how great it was off the back of what Spinksy was saying there to see Cam, you know, find a little bit of freedom, find a couple of shots, Chris, do that thing that we know he can do. Yeah. Um, he really is starting to turn into the bona fide all-rounder of our dreams, I think. Yeah. Um, well, Pat, I've made an arbitrary decision. Oh, Chris. Uh, okay. Because you know my feelings about selecting first-class batsmen for test matches. We need to see an average of above... 40 or above. 40. 40 or above. And for bowlers, ideally, we want to see 30 and below. And I've been trying to think about what do you do for an all-rounder? And so I've decided 35-35 is about where you want to be. So okay. somehow averaging above 35 with the bat. Uh, I think uh, Ben Stokes, for example, averages 36. Mm-hmm. And you want to average below 35 with the ball. And I think if you look at guys like Ben Stokes and Shane Watson, for example, uh, that's about where they were. Now, Cam Green... Uh, as of this, his most recent performance, is averaging a tick above 30 with the bat and 28 with the ball. So That's pretty great, Chris, considering pretty, he hadn't taken a wicket till this t- series. Pretty great, considering he hadn't taken a wicket until this series uh, and his batting in this series has been uh, not to the standard that we expect, but it does seem as though we are trending upwards uh, which is up, amazing. So that's really positive. I think that that's really positive. It's probably what you want from your, you know, if you're going to play an all-rounder at six, I know people tend to sort of say, well, no, if you're going to bat in the top six, you have to be in the t- top six batsman in the country. But find me another batsman that bowls 150, 145 clicks and we can have that argument. So I think that that's, that's the positive news with Cameron Green and we already know that he's a spectacular fielder. So that's great. Uh, and sidebar, in researching that uh, and coming up with a 35-35 number, I think at some point we probably need to do a career retrospective on Shane Watson because I've got to say his figures, particularly in test match cricket, um, are substantially better than what my memory recollects. So yeah, right. It's really, uh, really interesting. So I think um, a preemptive uh, tip of the cap to Shane Watson, but I do think in a future episode we should do a bit of a deep dive uh, on that because uh, his career figures actually are pretty good. So, 35 and 33, Chris. 35 with the bat, 33 with the ball. That uh, conforms to the theory, sir. Conforms to the theory. Yeah, yeah. And look, if you compare... I don't know if you've got Ben Stokes handy there. Ben Stokes is... Uh, he averages 36 with the bat and 32 with the ball. So, yeah, there you go. So 35, 35... I think if you find if you if you look up Jacques Callis as an example, you know undoubtedly the the greatest all rounder, probably ever. Certainly, uh, he's fifty one and thirty two. I think. Jacques. Yeah, yeah. So again, well above thirty five with the bat and uh, below thirty five with the ball. So that's the decision I've made, Pat. That's the benchmark. If if we can get Cameron Green there, I think we're going to be pretty satisfied as a cricketing public. I mean, mate, Dwayne Bravo, um, the wonderful West Indian, averages 31 with the, with the bat in tests and uh, 39 with the ball. Mm. Obviously, he's a much more of a white ball cricketer, but, you know, like a, a great of the game, none the bloody less. Um, big fella, this, this brings me to a, a nice conundrum. Mm. And what a conundrum we have here, Chris. The conundrum is, 
Travis Head is coming back into the side. Sure. Now, Travis Head has to come back. He had a, he had COVID. He tested positive for COVID. Has to take some time off. And that was mm. the only reason our dear Usman got in the team and did mm. phenomenally. And, and as Spinks, he mentioned, you know, he was saying... Um, uh, Usman was saying he's realizes that he's going to be out of the team for Hobart, but simultaneously, Chris, you can't drop a bloke who's just scored twin hundreds in an Ashes test, joining the likes of Ponting and Jack Hobbs. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's just not a thing that can happen. Which begs the question of how we fit him in the side. Harris mm. scored a 38 in this game uh, in the first dig and, what, like 27 in the second innings. He looked really good. Obviously, the innings he scored in Melbourne was absolutely vital. But his average isn't so great. And he still hasn't hit that mercurial 100 that we want to see from him. Yeah. So how mm. do we fit these plays in, Chris? And I know you have a theory. <laughs> All right. Now, let me preface this by saying that both of these lineups are a little off the wall, but I'm trying to... No. But I'm, I'm, I'm working it out. All right. So, I'm going to go with the first one, which I think is actually the least, the less controversial of the pair, but I know you have some strong feelings about it. <laughs> All right. So, the first, the first lineup is... It'll be... Uh, now, hold your breath. Warner to open... Mm-hmm. With Manus Lavashane, Steve Smith at three, Kawaja at four, Travis Head at five, Cameron Green at six, Kerry at seven. Now, this next part's important. Stark or Richardson, um, mm. you know, we fiddle with the tail, whatever. Stark or Richardson, uh, Cummins, Boland, if fit, uh, and um, Lyon. As the, as the spinner. So, Nathan Lyon plays in any scenario. So, that's that's fine. Now, that's my first test lineup. Now, I know that you're going to look at me and they're going to say, why is Marnus Lavashane opening you madman? Chris, why is Marnus Lavashane opening you madman when Usman Kawaja averages 90 when he opens the batting? I hear you. I understand where you're coming <laughs> from. I do get it. Usman has done a fine job opening the batting. He got 135 in his last pink ball test as an opener. Yep. Does a great job. However. Sure. However, for the bulk of his time outside of the Australian team and the most recent test match against England, which he has scored a double hundred uh, or well, two single hundreds, he's batted in the middle order. And by his own uh, acknowledgement and admission, uh, batting in the middle order is a significantly different prospect to opening the batting. So he's developed this body of work batting in the middle order uh, and doing a pretty damn good job of it, right? Mm. Which is why I think that we should, uh, we say we Australia should keep Usman in the middle order as much as possible. Now, why would you promote Manus up the order and, and what what body of evidence is there to support that? Now, my thinking here is that we've had some relatively interesting uh, results with uh, opening partnerships. Uh, and essentially... Harrison Warner getting out cheaply. Harrison and, Warner and get, minus, yeah. yep, Harrison Warner getting out cheaply. Bancroft and Warner getting out cheaply. Uh, whoever else and Warner really going back to um, Chris Rogers. Chris Rogers. Yeah. Right? It's probably the last stable partnership that we've had uh, with Dave Warner. I'm not saying it's Warner's fault, by the way. I'm just saying it's kind of what's happened. 
um, which has meant that the number three batsman, mostly Marnus recently, has come into bat early anyway against a relatively new ball. And going back to previous uh, batsmen who have interchanged between opening and batting three, one Justin Langer comes to mind. Justin Langer. Oh, Bardo. Wow, wow, we were. Now, if you think about the... Now, this is uh, not necessarily a link or a causation or anything like that, but if you think about the last time that Australia played in Hobart against Pac... Well, not the last time, but done recently, but if you think about when we played against Pakistan in 99-2000, it was that great test match against Pakistan. Um, Langer and Gilchrist get Australia off across the line with a 200-plus partnership, one of the greatest tests of all time. Justin Langer bats three, and he batted three for a considerable period of time around the turn of the century when he got back into the Australian team, before eventually partnering up with Haydos, um, I think circa 2001 Ashes. So, it there's form there. It happens. It, those two positions do tend to interchange. Sure, but that was 20 years ago. That was 20 years ago. Look, and going back even further... Oh, jeez. Um, one... <laughs> David Clarence Boone, right? Oh, boy, butter. Booney opened the batting. Don't forget, Booney came into the Australian side as an opener before shifting down to bat three. So, I think, essentially, there's enough link between those two positions where you could have an opening pair of Lavashane and Warner. You've got one guy averaging 60, one guy averaging 50... Um, the next guy coming in averages 60. And then below that, you've got a guy that's just made twin tons. That's a pretty formidable top four for mine. So Look, Chris, it's actually, you know, when you say it out loud, it's a lot better argument than I thought it was going to be. I will say I do think it's still hog wild. Um, oh, wait. I just don't know if Manus has got any experience as an opener. And as you say about Usman, it is a different job. Even if you're a number three who's going in early. Um, so I, I don't know about that, but I, I don't know. I'd be more comfortable if they slot Usman in at, at the top instead of Harris. Sure, sure. As I said, I'm just throwing out options here, Pat. What, <laughs> now, what I will say is that the head of the national selectors, whose uh, name I forget, I know George Bailey's the chairman of selectors, but this, the other guy, whose name yeah. I forget, um, did say that they were looking at all options. And throwing wow. out different combinations. So, just don't oh, be surprised wow. if this happens. Now, the other one which I was toying with today, which is definitely much much more off the beaten path. Oh, Bardo. Oh, boy. You've really pushed the boat out this year, pal. I'm, <laughs> no. I'm strapping myself in. I'm grabbing hold of the table, Chris. Strap, All right, strap yourself in. All right. Okay. So, let's say, for example... Stark or Boland, for whatever reason, I'm now I'm just going to say one of them. Let's say either or doesn't come up fit, Pat. Yeah, right. Scotty Boland's under an injury cloud. As we under say. an injury so let's cloud. Let's say Scotty's out, and we know White Ball, Stark, you know, bit gassed. Yeah. Blah blah. What if we did this? Marcus Harris, mm-hmm. David Warner, Manus Labuschagne, Steve Smith, Usman Kawaja, Travis Head. Coming in at seven, Cameron Green. Coming in at eight, Alex Carey, Pat Cummins, Boland slash Dark, and Lyon. So effectively, Cameron Green plays as the third seamer. 
and you're relying on Labashain and the part-time spin of Labashain, Smith and or Head. I mean, I thought that was going to be so much more crazy than it was, Chris. I thought you were going to tell us that we should drop Steve Smith and put Uzi in there. That's what I thought you were going to go with. So that actually makes a lot more sense. Um, I think I think they're going to be so much more keen to have five bowlers than not, just to be able to take the pressure off the individual quicks, mate. But uh, interesting thoughts, Chris. I don't know how they fit it in. Mm. I mean, if Harris gets dropped, I think he can feel a little hard done by. Um, I don't think we can allow ourselves to drop Musman Kawaza because he's in such great yeah. form. And I just don't know how they fit everybody in. Someone's um, going to be unlucky. I think that that's the that's the um, long and the short of it. Uh, and we've already seen someone being incredibly unlucky in this uh, series. Uh, yeah, remember Jai Richardson. Well, Jai Richardson, but remember a little old man called Michael Nisa? Oh, yeah. Poor old Nice. Jeez. Oh. Um, it's going to be really interesting, mate. Uh, looking forward, before we just jump to this other test series that's been happening um, again with uh, South Africa and India, um, just quickly, do you, how do you reckon it's going to go down in Hobart? We don't have a lot of data to draw on here. First ever pink ball test down in Hobart. Yeah. Who knows how it's going to go, Chris? Well, what's, your, what's your vibe? I think there, it's about as English as the conditions are going to get. Um, really, all series. And prior to the series, I said 3-1. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to say 3-1. I'm going to say we're going to see an English victory. Uh, possibly just because a little bit of fatigue, maybe a little bit of hubris uh, sneaking into the Australian camp whilst um, the England are on the up and up. But that is just to... For no other reason other than to stick to my original 3-1 uh, call <laughs> and wanting to remain right uh, rather than doing anything actually based in fact. <laughs> I, uh, I greatly enjoy that. But I greatly enjoy that. I think, um, I think we're going to win it. I think we're going to bounce back pretty well. I don't know what the team's going to look like exactly. Scotty Bolin under an injury cloud. Jai Richardson could be coming back into the side. Will Stark play? I mean, Starkey didn't look great by the end of the second innings that we, we bowled. Mm. Um, he was very unhappy with his foot and where it was landing. But he is an absolute god with the pink ball. So I think Australia would be loath not to play him. Um and yeah, I'm really interested to see who turns up for England as well. You know, they've had all of these injuries. Sam Billings coming into the side, Ollie Pope coming back into the side probably. You know, did they drop Hamid? Like what the British, the English side looks like is is beyond me. Mm. Um, but one thing I am confident of, Chris, is is rolling the palms. Um, and I know yeah. I said this uh, every test this year yeah. and predominantly I've been right. Consistent, so yeah. I'm going to go... I'm going to go stick with my consistency. And you know what else? To, I wouldn't be surprised if there's um, about a thousand runs scored and, and Tom has to do a song. <laughs> well, um, sure. We'll uh, believe that when we see it. huh? <laughs> um, mate, let's let's jump across across the ocean and go and hear a little bit from Jai Singh about this wild test series that's been happening between India and South Africa. How do you feel about that? That sounds great, mate. Let's fire it up. Here is Jai Singh, ladies and gentlemen, our Indian correspondent. Welcome to another Indian interjection. It's the 2021-22 India-South Africa Test Series, which feels like a revival tour of all your greatest hits from the early 2000s. Rahul Dravid is the Indian coach, Mark Boucher is the South African coach, oh. Saurav Ganguly is the BCCI president, and Graham Smith is the South African director of cricket. 
All cricketers never die. They just go into administration. <laughs> As the boys go to wear on this episode, the teams will have started the third test with the series locked at one apiece. Indian fans have been here before, with a promising start being followed by a South African resurgence. But with a South African team in the middle of a difficult transition period, this series represents India's best ever chance to conquer their final frontier. That they failed to go 2-0 up should be a disappointment to this team. That said, this is also an Indian side that is struggling with its identity. Hmm. Since this segment's last appearance, India has had an awkward captaincy transition in limited overs. Virat Kohli announced his resignation as T20 captain to take effect after the World Cup. The BCCI then announced, as a footnote when selecting the South African tour squad, that Mr Rohit Sharma has replaced Mr Virat Kohli as ODI captain. Mr Saurav Ganguly then clarified that this was because they want a single limited overs captain, and that Mr Virat Kohli had been asked to stay on in T20 as well, but having decided not to, was told Mr Rohit Sharma would replace him in both forms to maintain a unified limited overs captaincy. Mr Virat Kohli then denied this and said he was not asked to reconsider his T20 resignation. Mr Jai Singh doesn't know who to believe and is quite befuddled by the whole saga. Hold up there, Jai. What a wild series of events, Chris. That's not what we call a peaceful transition of power. And I realise that Australia's not one to talk in this sort of situation, but jeez, boy, that is no good, Butto. No good at all, Pat. No no good at all. You, You don't want your star player arguably i've said this a few times today the best player of the 21st century uh for for india well perhaps uh tandulka aside that would be an interesting conversation calling it Kohli or tandulka um or Dhoni. jeez i've had a few you know what chris i actually you know a couple of years ago it was very much that Kohli was going to take that mantle but here's a stat for you that'll blow you to gourd um Mitchell Stark has a higher batting average since 2019 than Virat Kohli. Yeah, wow. Is that test? Is that tests? Tests. Yeah. Okay. All right. But that is still nuts. Yeah, it's interesting. Nuts, like, Chris. I probably would have gone. Uh, Col- Virat Kohli, from what I understand, holds Test cricket in the highest of esteem, which is probably why he wants to retain the Indian Test captaincy. But he's a phenomenal <laughs> white ball cricketer. Um, and I would have thought that that would have been more suited to his skill set. But, obviously, he feels differently. Yeah. And look, like, we are not here to question the king, Bardo. We didn't, we didn't come here to do that. Because if you come for the king, you best not miss. And uh, we have been known to, to fire across the bow occasionally. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but on to the test series itself. Since the tour of Australia in 2021, which is Tufanun's last acquaintance with the Indian side, India has changed their composition a little. Shubman Gill has been missing since the middle of 2021 due to a combination of injury and poor form. Rohit Sharma is missing due to injury only, with Kail Rahul deputising as vice-captain. Ishant Sharma is not fully match-fit and is not guaranteed a place in the side due to the emergence of Mohamed Siraj. Ravindra Jadeja is injured, so Ashwin has been promoted to number seven and regained his spot as primary spinner after having been omitted for the entirety of the English summer. The first test followed a similar pattern to most of India's recent encounters. The new opening pair of Kale Rahul and Mayak Agarwal put on a century stand before the rest of the batting crumbled, aside from middling contributions from Virat Kohli and Ajinkya Rahane. 
who had recently been deposed as vice-captain as a result of dismal form that has brought his place in the side into question. More on that later. India's pacemen then dismissed South Africa cheaply to take a 130-run lead, which they stretched into a target of 305 by virtue of a second innings where the top score was 34. This turned out to be plenty. Ashwin took two wickets in the innings, while the four-pronged pace attack of Bumrah, Siraj, Shami and Thakur shared 18 for the match. 1-0, and the assumption was that India would be celebrating a historic series victory in four or five days' time. Some reassessment was needed after India was rolled for 202 in the first innings of the second test. Wow. Rahul, standing in as captain after Kohli experienced back spasms and the commentariat wisely refrained from making the joke about him having been stabbed in the back, made 50, Ashwin made 46, and Rahane made what was predicted to be a career-ending duck. South Africa scraped to a 27-run lead with Shadul Thakur recording 7 for 61 and the best-ever figures for an Indian bowler in South Africa. Bujara and Rahane then returned to Sun. I was going to say, it's been... It's pretty nuts to hear the turmoil in that Indian side mm. and then to see that they came through that and immediately got a win. It's also wonderful when you see teams score under 200, both of them score under 200 in first innings of a test. I always think that's really exciting that that stumps are flying, Chris, that blokes are yeah. really struggling and that, that it's, you know, it's a real battle out there. Love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I think the first test series, uh, as my thought comes back to me, Pat, um, the first test, uh, sorry, the second test in that series, uh, you know, is has been regarded as one of the great victories uh, of, of South Africa. And, yeah, right. You know, in South African cricket all time. And what we're seeing, I think, in South Africa is actually a resurgence of a of a fearsome pace attack. You know, this if you think about South African um, bowling attacks of years gone, you know, you've had you've had the combinations of guys like Dolan, uh, Don, Donald, Donald, <laughs> Alan Donald, uh, Sean Pollock, uh, Lance Klusner. Uh, more recently, guys like Nkai and Tini. I'll get there eventually. Oh, uh, you did it, but I'm proud of you. Got there. Uh, more name, more called Dale Stain. Uh, most current generation guys like Kakisa Rabada, and now we kind of have this this new uh, guard where Kakisa Rabada is the senior uh, bowler, the older statesman of that attack, mm. uh, still relatively young, uh, leading that attack. And Kakisa Rabada, uh, Ngidi, um, this uh, new fella uh, Jansen, who is a giant. Uh, and he's a million feet tall and I've loved huge. the shots of him batting with Tim but I've loved seeing those those pitches Chris because you know he is absolutely gigantic he's got to be about you know seven foot tall yeah um, and huge you know Rabada is 26 leading the attack which is which is pretty huge as well like pretty huge and look they've got a they've got a fourth seamer as well who's uh, opening the bowling um, Olivier um, who bowls really interestingly you know he's not uh the fastest guy going around but just gets a little bit enough movement to make things interesting so pretty mm. cool i think you know we're starting to see a bit of uh, again is in the same way we've seen a resurgence of the england team i think now we're starting to see something come through from south africa which is uh, going to be quite exciting just whether or not they can get that top six sorted um india on the other hand you know it's not as if they've come across with a substandard team you know if we go through their top six um, you know, there's still guys like Kohli, um, Chester Wapajara, um, you know, Rahul, Rahul um, Rishabh Pant, you know, has, you know, caused Australian nightmares before. So, 
really interesting to see uh, which way this series is going to go. And it's a great fast bowling attack too. Mohamed Shami, Jasper Boomer, Mohamed mm. Siraj. Like, Siraj legit tore us to pieces. Um, like, yeah, that's that's been that's been very, very impressive from him as well. Um, Absolutely. Oh, and I've just got a tape from Chris Goodrick. Would you look at that in perfect timing, Butter? We, we love that from him. With, with that in mind, let's get back to Jai. Some semblance of form with counter-attacking 50s and Coley's replacement, Hanuma Vihari, marshaled the tail expertly. But a target of 243 ended up being a cakewalk for South Africa and they squared the series with a seven-wicket victory. Which means we arrive at the main talking point for the series. What is India's plan for their misfiring middle order? India's numbers 3, 4 and 5 averaged a mere 29.02 in 2021. Jai, don't tell me there's a problem with India's number 4. This is completely new news to us, Chris. We've never had this before <laughs> with Jai Singh on the podcast. I, I don't know. I'm shocked. Like, breaking, breaking news. da 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 Problem with India's number 4. <laughs> Back to it. There is a lot of talk about times being difficult for batting. And the average per wicket for all teams is only 28.78. But for the Indian middle order engine room to average pretty much the same as all wickets, including the absolute bunnies, for every team, surely says that something is badly wrong. Pujara, Kohli and Rahane have all averaged under 30 since the start of 2020. Rahane has come under the most scrutiny because Kohli is captain and Pujara has played a few defensive masterpieces. India has committed to giving their senior players a long rope and a few more opportunities, but Rahane averaged 20.82 last year over 23 innings, which is the third worst average ever for a top six batsman in the history of Test cricket. Wow. No other player has been retained despite this level of poor form. The only specialist batsman to average less this year was Dom Sibley. If even England drops someone for averaging (laughs) less than 21, how long can India put up with Rahane's minimal returns? He did make a good 50 in the second innings of the second test. But if India are going to keep selecting Rahane in the hope that he'll come good one day, and in the meantime be satisfied with the 50 every 10 innings, he really needs to change his name to Joss Butler. <laughs> with Shreyas Iyer and Anuma Vihari breathing down their necks, Pujara and Rahane are under huge pressure to retain their spots. India are also facing huge pressure to keep South Africa from coming from behind to take this series. To achieve history, they're relying on their openers to continue putting on big runs overseas and their fast bowlers to blow the opposition away yet again. Older Indian fans must think they're stuck in a bizarre parallel universe. Amazing. Jai, so great to have him back on the podcast, Chris. So um, great. I'm so glad you suggested it. Um, wonderful stuff there. And and they are some terrible figures for Ahane. Oh boy, Chris. Oh boy. Yikes. Yeah. Well... India in India. Are they gettable? Are they gettable? Is it doable, Chris? Is it bloody doable? And I'm so fascinated to see how this test series plays out. It sounds like it's on a bloody knife's edge. Um, Mate, we might be a slightly longer episode here because I've just got a tape from Chris Goodrick. And he's this is hot off the presses. I haven't listened to it. I don't know if this is going to work. We're going to give it a red hot crack. But B-Train, he's saying to me that uh, it's a bit more of a yarn this time. Okay. So... This could be pretty loose. All right. Um, so we're just going to fire it up and see what happens. Sure. <laughs> Here we go. Chris Goodrick, ladies and gents. Afritz. 
žijou sloni a podobná zvířata. G'day team, good to be back. What a series it has been. South Africa vs India. We are all tied up 1-1 with the remaining test to play. It's well balanced, I think. Um, I think the second day is going to be really interesting. So uh, India 2-2-3 all out and South Africa at 17 for 1. Um, so four days of cricket um, and yeah, this is the decider at Newlands in Cape Town. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic series so far. Um, I think South Africa's first performance, not, you know, not great. Um, and, you know, I think what, what a lot of people kind of know and is that this, the South African test cricket team is not what they used to be. We don't have that wealth of experience. We seem to have sort of had a drop off in, in, in a lot of our uh, big names retired at, at the same time and, and, uh, you know, we've just had Quinton de Kock has, has, has announced his retirement oh, from, yeah, from that's right, Test yeah. Cricket as well. Um, and so we've got a brand new keeper in. So I was trying to find the stats for the last time we played India in a home series to, to add up the caps of the number of players compared to what we have now. Um, and I think, you know, maybe India, um, you know, they, they really dominated us in that first Test. But I think there was a little bit of complacency. Uh, mm. When it came to the second the second test match, um, and good on the Proteas, they came back with so much fight. Uh, Dean Elgar led fantastically well and finished the game off game off for us with a, a great ninety six not out. Um, Jansen, what a prospect for South Africa, young lad, reminds me of a young Dale Stain, full of fire. He, he just comes down the pitch and death stares the batsman. He is fantastic. <laughs> Um, rips in with the short balls, just gets absolutely stoked to take some wickets. Um, so he has been a fantastic prospect uh, for South Africa in the series and took seven wickets in that second test. Um, so, yeah, guys, I don't have too much to, to report on. I'm, I'm currently traveling the northern island of uh, New Zealand, uh, doing a bit of a tiki tour here. Um, I'm traveling with, uh, with, with a couple of mates from... Um, two from Germany, one from Ireland, and one from the Czech Republic. A little bit like, uh, sounds a bit like a mixture from something, you know, similar to maybe the English cricket team, just, uh, <laughs> you know, full of people from all over the place. Um, but a funny story, actually, I was, uh, I was, t- I was sitting around the barbecue just, uh, just explaining, um, cricket and, um, you know, for for the likes of German people and Czech Republic and uh, not so much the Irish, but um, I was trying to explain Test match cricket. You know, a game to a European nation um, that you know you it takes five days to play. Uh, you have multiple breaks, and um, it's the only game in the world where you can play for five days and have a draw. And they just they looked at the the cricketers' clothing. And they thought, what the bloody hell is this? These guys aren't, they're hardly running around. And, you know, I really had to defend cricket. You know, for us, it's a game where there's just, it, it's just the most beautiful thing. Test match, Boxing Day cricket, you know. Mm. You, uh, you, you're sitting, um, watching for hours, and then you go and have a swim, or 
uh, you go and do something, but the game is always on, you know, it's always on your phone, it's always on the uh, the TV as you walk past and then you get a bit, um, you're taken back into it and watch for another 10 or 15 minutes. And I was sort of trying to explain this philosophy of, you know, you, you watch, maybe you go to the game for two days of a boxing day, you always go to the 26th, or we always go for the 26th, watch it and uh, maybe the 27th and then uh, you need a bit of a break from the sun, so you'll watch it uh, on, on the TV and always have it on. And this foreign, this the, they they were just uh, completely astounded by how this works. But I am I am promoting the game to to the the northern hemisphere. Um, but it was a really funny moment trying to explain that. Um, so yeah, guys, um, it is looking like um, a, a couple of st- well, just stat for you. And, and and South African cricket has always been very strong at home. We've always had. Um, amazing results and good good test series wins um, so in, in the last 20 uh, matches in South Africa that India have played us the Indians have only won three times so it is we have been dominant and wow. um, you know I, I think everybody knows we had we used to have those test teams that 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 nations feared you know when you had Hashim Amla at the top of the innings mm-hmm. Jacques Cullis coming in AB de Villiers uh, more called Dale Stain you know you had those players I think when you look at our squad today, you don't get that fear factor. You look at it and you go, ooh, okay. And we've just had the cock retire. We've still got some big guns there. I'm not saying we don't have that really powerful, um, good player factor, but we don't have it like we used to. So we've still, I mean, Ngidi's been fantastic in this series. He's, 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 he's coming and he's bold hard and he's, he's produced. And Rabat is always fighting for wickets. Um, but, you know, if you just look at that paper, that, that squad on paper, it, it, it does lack that um, th- that factor. Um, but, look, I'm really, really happy with the way South Africa responded. I think maybe complacency crept in a little bit for India in that second test when they thought they were going to roll us. But um, we really responded back well. Captain captain came through nicely with, the, with that innings. And, as I say, uh, Janssen's looking really, really good. Uh, bowlers are firing, and again we've come through in this third test. Now we've uh, we've skittled England uh, in India out for two, two, three. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, I think the second day I'll be keeping a close eye on it. Um, I think South Africa's really got to. We, we've really got to push the button now. We've really got to show some dominance. If we get a good lead on India, we are in the driver's seat. Um, and Newlands is a ground historically we have been very successful in. So um, I'm backing the Proteas. Um, yeah, guys, it, 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 what a series it's been. I wish I could have watched some more. I've been uh, been traveling around sampling some of New Zealand's finest pies. And the, the, the lamb and mince just gets better the further north you go. Um, so, um, yeah, guys, I think I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to um, go and enjoy this lovely day in Wellington. Looking forward to the podcast. It's going to be a great four days of cricket uh, in South Africa. And go the Proteas. We're going to bring this bloody thing home. Thank you, guys. Always good to chat and uh, looking forward to the podcast. Sweet as. Thank you, Chris. Good on you, mate. And thank you, mate, making the time to uh, crack out a pod when you're on the road trying to convince some Europeans to pick up the uh, the greatest game in the world. Uh, B-Train, 
uh, some interesting thoughts there. I, I didn't realize how dominant uh, South Africa had been at home, although it does make sense. And mm. um, y- you have to say, India might be, dare I say, a little on the ropes here, but I'm a little on the ropes. Am I reading this correctly? Am my eye goggles set to the right frequency? Oh, I think it all depends a lot on today's play. So as we're recording this, it's Wednesday and heading into day two. As Chris said, uh, I think they've bowled out India for 223, which is no mean feat. Um, although, as you know, Jai's articulated, perhaps the Indian batting lineup is a little bit more frail than what we had thought. Um, mm. So interesting. So interesting. But South Africa, uh, one for 17, uh, commencing day two. I think it all hinges on this innings here. Um, and kind of, you know, whether or not South Africa can A, um, chase down the 223 and then B, generate some sort of a lead if they can uh then well we've got a game don't we um if they can't i think india's batting lineup uh albeit with its uh frailty chinks Mm. it's peanut butter brittle um (laughs) i think would still come out on top so we'll wait and see but exciting to see that test cricket across the world pat um, is doing interesting things. And and they've got such a good servant in promoting the game in Chris Goodrick, who's just rolling around eating pies in New Zealand, <laughs> just talking it up to Germans. Good on him. Do you know what, Chris? Uh, we are one of the most popular cricket podcasts in Sweden. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, we've been doing pretty well in Germany too. So listen, there's... And I know, thanks to Tom Hawkey, that we're very popular in Slovakia as well. So we're just, maybe, Chris, we should start to pivot into commentating the European Cricket League. Uh, that's something I would really love to do. Hey, uh, could I? Have you seen those games? I have. Yes. <laughs> it's the best, man. The European Cricket League is one of my favorite things in the world. Oh, geez. Um, but we will definitely check back in with Chris and Jai at the conclusion of that series and see how things um, ended up in the wash. B-Train, uh, coming to the end of the episode, my friend. Mm. Uh, final thoughts from you. Anything you want to leave the people with before we, as we head into Hobart with the last Ashes test? Yeah, look, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think, what, well, what else can you say? It's, even though it's been... A weird one-sided test series. If we hadn't had those first three tests of utter garbage from England, that fourth test in Melbourne wouldn't have meant so much. Sydney, sorry. Sydney, sorry, apologies. Sydney, Um, you people on the East Coast are all the same to me. (laughs) It all kind of blends into one big... Eastern How dare you? Mass. How dare you say this? Sorry, Chris, you're in the middle of a good thought. Uh, but what I think it shows is that there's no such thing as a dead rubber anymore in cricket. One of the great things that's come out in the last couple of years has been the uh, uh, invention uh, of the World Test Cricket Championship. And there's still something to play for in this game. You know, there's points uh, on the ICC Test Championship table there to play for. There's um, intrigue about how Australia manages, uh, you know, its uh, pace attack after four games in relatively quick succession. Um, Yeah, and what do we do in terms of the white ball games coming up? Uh, Personally, I wouldn't be stressing too much about the, particularly the 50 over stuff, uh, because it's, it's not it's not that it's not meaningful, it's just not as meaningful. So hopefully they do play a full strength pace attack. Um, 
but there's also uh, within Hobart, you know, as we said, you know, there's there's an opportunity for a couple of subcontinent tours coming up, um, and some players to have an opportunity to cement their position in those teams. So what a wonderful game it is that we observe, Pat. That uh, even in the deadest of rubbers, um, there's still uh, significant intrigue that you and I can prattle on for an hour. Ah, oh, isn't that the absolute case, Pardo? Uh, what a truly wonderful draw. What a way to remind yourself of how brilliant Test cricket is. Um, and when it comes down to those last moments, you know, Polly and I were sitting on the couch and Polly has, of course, been getting more and more into cricket because she unfortunately, well, fortunately, Chris has to spend a lot of time with me. And she was just on the edge of her bloody seat for that last hour. We sat there and just the two of us just screaming at our television. And, and, you know, I can't wait to see more of that in Hobart as the ball hoops around corners and Usman Khawaja hits more hundreds. What a treat. What a dream. Uh, I can't I can't wait to see how it rolls out. And so, Bardo, I will speak to you after the next test, my friend. And then we've got 50 over games. We've got the women's ashes. We've got the series happening. We've got the, the, the Kiwis are playing some great cricket. It's all happening, B-Train. And heaps more for people to tune in next time. Two for nine rolls around. Thank you, big man. A pleasure and an honour. I will catch you after this test. See you, Pat. Thanks, mate. Love your work. And go those Aussies. Go! Fernand is created and presented by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. Big thanks to our correspondents, Tom Hawkey, Alex Spinks, Jai Singh and Chris Goodrick, as well as my co-host Chris for joining me on the show. We Are the Champions is by Queen, 1977 off News of the World. Why Does It Always Rain On Me is by Travis of The Man Who, 1999. All clips and music is used in conjunction with our APRA AMCOS online mini license, OL2028. Hey, make sure you check us out on Facebook if you like the show, and you can always email us at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com, or one word, especially if you're a West Indies or Bangladesh fan who'd like to be our new correspondent. Two for None is produced by Ginger Snap Productions. You can check out our other show, The Isocast, in your podcatcher, and make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to all of our podcasts. Tell a cricket fan about this podcast, and we will be back around Jan 20 to wrap up the Hobart Test, preview the White Ball Series, and so much more. Go those Aussies in the meantime. Go those Aussies. 4-0. Woohoo!